I didn't intend to preach on the gospel today, but uh, as I was reading it, some, something occurred to me that I, you might find interesting. Uh, the house in Capernaum, where Jesus goes and Simon Peter and Andrew are there, uh, and his mother is healed of a fever, that house is one of the most significant archaeological finds of the last 35 years. It's in the top 20. So the archaeologists have found that house, and uh, it was there. It's further support for uh, the Bible being true, and some of it happened. So I also, though, because we always view these things through our own cultural lens, uh, as soon as Peter's mother was healed, someone there must have said, Is there coffee? And she got up and served them. Well, figures, right? Also, though, this gospel is important because it's another place, an example of where the Savior is a man of prayer. He goes off and prays. That's very important. We pray, and the Savior prayed too. And that's where we got it from. Jesus Christ, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. What I do want to preach on today is St. Paul. And the reason for this is that for the last three or four weeks, we have been reading from 1 Corinthians. And uh, some of that, and probably Romans, is some of the more convoluted writing in the New Testament. And sometimes I wouldn't blame you if you would say, you know, I'm only getting about 10% of this. I have no idea. So maybe the more important thing would be to say something about Paul himself and what he is getting at and how for a long time in Christianity we have, um, it wouldn't be fair to say got it wrong, but we have uh, focused on aspects of Paul's outlook and the centrality of his uh, being in the New Testament perhaps in a way that distorts the picture and robs it of its fullness. So I want to say some things about that. Before I do, I, I need to say this. Um, most of us are Americans, and so we grew up in this country, and uh, those of us who had any American history know that uh, for a long time, uh, the Founding Fathers uh, are variously portrayed in various historical accounts, but most all of them uh, believed that religion was important. They believed it was important, however, because they thought it was the regulatory force in the society for uh, making people hew the line in terms of morality and ethics. The truth of the religion mattered not. In fact, most of the founding or many of the founding fathers of this country were Episcopalians. But they were a brand of Episcopalian that was very popular in the 18th century. God builds the watch, winds the watch, sets it in motion, and now is way off in the cosmos. It's called deism. So it's up to us. We're on our own, so we should promote religion 
because it's going to keep people good. And that's what it is that we want to make sure uh, about. Christianity is not a religion that is based on a book. It is not a religion that is based on a particular set of liturgical principles. It is not a, a religion that is based on a particular set of moral and ethical principles. Christianity is a religion that is based on an inner person. Jesus Christ, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ to lead us through his death and resurrection from the bondage of sin into everlasting life. That's what it says in the baptismal liturgy. And our faith in him and in his mighty works and in his power. So the rest may be, as the cab driver said to Bishop N.T. Wright when they were stuck in the traffic jam in London, when they were talking about women bishops in the Church of England, and the cab driver said to Bishop Wright, here's what I think about this. If Jesus Christ, God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, is true, then all the rest is rock and roll. So let's say some things about Paul, and maybe, I hope, not as convoluted as some of the stuff that he writes and we try to make sense out of, uh, including the reading today, where he's all things to all people. First of all, the reading today, as you can tell, or might be able to tell, is a ex part of an extended defense of his apostleship. And there are people who have come to uh, Corinth in his absence and who have questioned his apostleship and have also introduced two themes. Some groups believe you need to be a Gnostic to have the secret knowledge and that that's what Jesus was here to teach us. And some say you need to be a pious Jew, meaning the males must be circumcised, you have to keep the dietary laws, and you must keep the Sabbath even though you are a Christian. So Paul is defending himself here and saying, this is how I've behaved through this. Now, he has had uh, a conversion experience some years before that was very dramatic. And we read about it in the New Testament. And he came to this conclusion because of that experience. That... The way that people get in is through their faith in Christ. And that it is not just the people of the covenant like him, a Jew. It is everyone, including the Gentiles. And they are in by virtue of their faith in Christ. They do not have to be circumcised. They do not have to keep the dietary laws. And they do not have to keep the Sabbath. There are those who are in who do those things, but it is not necessary to be in to do them. So Paul is a faithful Jew. There's no real evidence except when it was expedient, as he explains today, that he didn't keep uh, the law still. 
and that he believed that somehow as a person of the covenant, uh, that for him was life-giving. But Paul is at pains to say that God's saving purposes now are not just revealed in what he's writing to these churches that he founded, but can be seen in the Jews' own sacred literature, where the great prophets of Israel said that God is working a new thing and that God's saving embrace is to be offered to everyone. And that his mission as a minister of the gospel is to make that clear to people. Now here's the thing. We read Saint, all the churches that have been influenced by the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century read Paul through a particular lens. And often in the interpretative process, what we receive is Reformation theology and not Pauline theology. A famous reformer by the name of Martin Luther was beset by self-doubt, by, you know, we should pause occasionally to see how many of the great faith traditions have been held hostage to the neurotic conflicts of some of their great figures. Luther could never satisfy himself that he was saved, that uh, in any way he was uh, fitted out for the kingdom of God, no matter what he thought, no matter what he did, he never felt comfortable until he read the epistle to the Romans and saw in there that he was saved not by anything he could do, but by God's grace alone, through his faith alone. And the breathtaking nature of that realization for Luther was absolutely amazing. Now, a lot of Protestant theology after that was saying that's what Paul went through. He found the Jewish religion to be just too burdensome, a religion of works. This is why he preached against this in his letters and talked about all of this kind of thing. It just isn't true. And when you read the epistles that Paul wrote, Paul said, I am blameless before God. I have dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's. If today the great judgment came, I'd be in. I was a Pharisee. So I'm not worried about whether I'm in or out in, that, in the sense of the law. But I understand now the law was a custodian until we realized that in Christ... We are all in. And that's everybody. Everybody. So the centerpiece of Paul's theological outlook has been thought by many to be justification by grace through faith. Diakosune fail. Paul means that you are declared righteous by being in Christ. 
And there is a parallel thing that is part of this, that when you and I are in, we participate in Christ. Participation in Christ is one of the centerpieces of his theology. It's very hard for us as Western Christians in 2012 to understand the word righteous in terms of what it meant in in the world of Paul. Most of us would not call ourselves righteous. We would believe it to be presumptuous. Diakosune theu means that you have been acquitted at law in the courts. So when you have been declared righteous, it has nothing to do with your moral character. If you're in a lawsuit these days and you win, that's how you're judged by the law, that you win. It doesn't, you could be a jerk, but you've won. You've prevailed. Diakosunetheu. You have been declared righteous. Listen in Eucharistic Prayer B when it says, We have been made worthy to stand before you. Doesn't matter whether you're dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's morally. Is that permission for us to be just profligate? Antominians, as they used to say? No, of course not. But what it does mean is that somehow participation in Christ produces in each of us, in sacramental terms through our baptism, a transformation of our character. And indelible character has been now given to us. And so with that great gift comes great responsibility. And Paul, in the writing today, says, I have an obligation laid upon me to make people aware of this, to be a minister of the gospel. And so, too, does everyone who seeks to live a life that conforms with God's will and purpose. You hear me say over and over again, that means that when you do this, it's becoming the best human being that you can be, being a transparency and a reflection of God's grace and love. And in some way, in relationship, having transformational power as you interact with other people and allow yourselves to be transformed by the grace that you receive back from them. That is sort of the godly enterprise that we're engaged in as we live. This week, give thanks for the opportunity to participate in Christ. Understand that when you do that, Uh, You do it just the way that I said, by being the best human being that you can be. You do that by saying to yourself, I now realize that I have a role to play in big and small ways in God's plan for the cosmos. My two favorite New Testament lines are, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, the template that we lay over our own spiritual life and development. And Paul in 2 Corinthians, we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. Let God make his appeal through you this week. Amen.